1: Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance
2: smarter. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I
3: thought in that moment, oh my God,
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Kitty Couric, and this is Next Question. Talk about a superstar lineup. Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, Charles Melton, Todd Haynes. They're the talent behind May December, the gripping psychological thriller directed by Haynes and written by first-time screenwriter Sammy Birch. It's getting a lot of attention, and it's been nominated for three Golden Globes. The movie is partially based on the shocking story of Mary Kay Letourneau. If you're not old enough to remember, she was the schoolteacher from a suburb of Seattle who went to prison in the 90s after beginning a relationship with one of her students. At the time, she was 34 and he was 12. May-December imagines a similar couple, Gracie and Joe, played by Julianne Moore and Charles Melton, years after their relationship began. What would their life be like now? How did their story unfold? And what would happen if an actress, Natalie Portman, showed up to research her role portraying Gracie in an upcoming movie? That's how May-December begins. It's a strange, twisty tale of love, lust, and a not exactly age-appropriate relationship given the Todd Haynes treatment. I interviewed the group following a screening And it was a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Natalie, I know that your production company originally found the script for this film and brought it to Todd. Why did you believe he would be the right person
5: to tell this story? I kind of think Todd could tell any story beautifully. I'm such an admirer of his. I've wanted to work with him my entire career. And I've tried a few times before unsuccessfully, and um, had sent him things in the past. And when I read Sammy's script, I was so blown away by how she was able to do so much with such kind of sparse language. Like it almost, it revealed itself every day when we were shooting it. Their new subtext would just kind of come out through the silences and what was between all of the lines, which is so rare. And Todd is such a master of female complexity and also performance related to identity. I mean, it was such a great luck that he took to it.
1: And Todd, when you first read Sammy's script, and Sammy, I'll get to you in a second, because I can't wait to find out your story. What did you think about it?
3: I thought it was brilliant and devious. And, (laughs) And that it put the reins into the it trusted the reader, you know. It's so rare, and in someone so young and so you know to have that confidence to really let the reader navigate against themselves and the and the knowledges that we bring and the you know the, the fluency that we bring to watching movies and all the expectations we have for who to trust and who not to trust. And so it very quickly became inspiring to me. And as to how to turn it into a film, I will just add the idea of being able to cast, uh, to work with Natalie finally in something so complex and so witty. And then to have the
1: second role sitting right there. And this is your fifth collaboration, isn't it? Yeah, we'll talk about that in a moment. But Sammy, this is Sammy. This is your first. Come on, woman. This is your first screenplay. you got to tell. I mean, yeah. tell me about yourself. I know that the, the story of of Mary Kay Latorno was the seed of this. How did this whole story come to you? Just tell us a little bit about why it struck you and why you wanted to kind of dig into this topic.
6: Yeah, I mean, I think we're in such an interesting time right now with, you know, re-looking at all these 90s tabloid culture, you know, these stories and kind of picking them up again and a lot of times retelling them the same way, I guess. And I think... Um, or in some cases through a different lens, I absolutely, think, right? Absolutely. Sometimes looking at them through the lens of now and how people were treated unfairly. But I think the the seed really was this idea of... Thinking about that couple, I knew that they had kids. And at a certain point, I thought, oh, they're probably adults, these kids. And this image of of an empty house kind of came to me of of just, you know, being an empty nester at 36 years old or, or you know, mid 30s and um, which is really young enough to start over. And so that was kind of the jumping off point of wanting to look at a couple like that with 20 years different, So there's just more air and more room um, and breath.
1: Were you worried when people were watching this film, they would remember that actual story or that they would be able to make a leap that this was, as Julianne told me recently, inspired by it, but it wasn't that story. You know, as Sammy
3: was sort of saying, I think I, I took it and I sort of Accepted and and it as a as the sort of cultural raw material that we all share, right? But that it was something that could be interpreted as a fiction, a new and and the brilliant structure of the script is that it's set all these years later. So it's really about the excavation of into the past and breaking through those barriers that have been erected to protect this family from that event in the role. Of this curious actress who we think we trust, <laughs> and then things start to get crazy.
1: We're going to talk about the characters in a moment, but I did want to ask Julianne about your working relationship with Todd. As I said, this is the fifth collaboration. So, talk to us about
4: why this works so well. Oh man, I don't mean I'm so lucky. I I don't know. I have no idea. Except that I mean. I think that that we have a shared sensibility, you know, and and from the very beginning when I auditioned for Safe, I remember I had a very clear idea of how I thought it should be performed. And I was desperate to get the job, really just desperate. But there was only one way I could see doing it. And I thought to myself, if if he doesn't like it, then I'm just not the person for the job. And he did. And that was what, and I think we've had that in all of our collaborations where I've, I feel like I'm able to understand, and he's also able to very, very clearly communicate what he wants, you know, to me through through his direction in his storytelling. You know, Todd gives you tremendous Um, scaffolding and context for absolutely everything you're doing. And so it's like, he does all the work for you. So I feel like I'm just the recipient. (laughs) Okay. You're shaking
1: your head. Can you go ahead and say? (laughs) No,
3: I I mean, I I had this extraordinary fortune of meeting a creative counterpart so early on in my career, you know, it was my second feature and Julie had had a career on television and then was moving into film. But I didn't know your work, I I saw shortcuts. It was about to come out and people were like, talking about this actor, Julianne Moore. And um, I, I didn't realize how challenging that character was until you embodied it. Like how almost impossible it was to play until she understood the un- other side of the mirror, right? And that's been what I've been experiencing <laughs> ever since. <laughs> And and I I've said this, you know. We talk. I talk a lot about Julie and Natalie and Charles and these actors. But I learn something from Julie every time we return to a project. There's things that happen in the room that I can't not see until I watch it on film. So there's this understanding of the medium that is just extrasensory, deep.
1: Up next, Julianne and Natalie, give us a sneak peek into their process. How did they go about portraying these fascinating and unusual women? That's right after this. If you want to get smarter every morning with a breakdown of the news and fascinating takes on health and wellness and pop culture, sign up for our daily newsletter, Wake Up Call, by going to katiecouric.com. and we're back with the cast of May-December. I have to ask you, Julianne, about Gracie, because she's such an enigma. I mean all of these characters are so damn weird to me, but tell tell me, I mean, I'm just gonna say it. How would you
4: describe Gracie? Well, I mean, it's funny that you said that too, because of course, you know, back to Sammy's script, it was deceptively simple, you know? I mean, it was really, really clean. And I I read this and I'm like, oh, I got it. I got it, I got this, no problem. And then I started working on it and I called Todd and I was like, oh, I don't think I could do this. This is really hard. She's really complicated. And I think that what Sammy has done so beautifully in the script is that, you know, everyone is so desperate to express their narrative, to tell their story, and no one more so than Gracie. And Gracie's narrative is so complicated. And there was something in the script that where I kept stumbling as I was working on it, where she was so, where Gracie was very kind of commanding in her house. And I was like... I don't get it. She doesn't seem like a, a mother to me. She doesn't seem like she's in control. And then I started thinking it's because I was like, oh, oh, it's like, she's not the, she's not the mom. She's not the queen. She's a princess. She's a princess who was rescued by her prince. And her prince was 13 years old. And in order for to make that work, she has to elevate him to being an adult. And she remains a child. She's forever that princess. So she's not the mom. She's a little girl with an apron on and a wooden spoon in her hand, you know, saying, and she's going to keep that. That's her That's her story. She's sticking to it. And the distance between that narrative and the huge transgression that's occurred is vast. And there's so much tension in between. And that's where all that emotional volatility happens so that when she's alone, you know, she just falls apart. So I was like, oh, whoa, Sammy, whoa.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it's if they're all trying to convince themselves they're happy. And I'm curious about, Natalie, your role, you describe Elizabeth as so slippery. Uh, What do you mean by that exactly? And how would you describe her? Because she's so complicated, too.
5: Yes. Well, um, I think she's slippery as all as Gracie is as well, because there's at different points and that's Part of the brilliance of Sammy's script there's different points where you're with each of them, and then they they lose you you know you you're you're with them and you kind of believe their version of the truth like Julie was saying and then then you realize that they've been manipulating you and I was just struck so much by the levels of artifice and performance and the embrace of that and Todd's brilliance of using all of these mirror scenes and using the camera as the mirror so that even when they're looking at themselves, it's performance, that it's like always performance and you're just trying to unravel and find like someone tell me the truth. And of course, then Charles (laughs) brilliantly is like true and honest and you're so relieved because no one else is telling you anything (laughs) real um and so it's just yeah a beautiful construction that sammy sammy made for us
1: even though that's a perfect segue to charles i have to ask you and julianne about the nature of your relationship when you all are that makeup scene speaking of mirrors i expected you to start making out for some reason and like this weird sexual
5: tension (laughs) what did natalie say I wanted to.
1: <laughs> I mean, how would you describe the dynamic between these two women? It's so it's
4: such an interesting dance, isn't it? Yeah, I think they're in a struggle for dominance, you know? It's like who's gonna tell this story? And and I think the interesting thing for me as as Gracie is that her her need, her desperation to tell that story and to have Elizabeth believe that story is so strong that she's gonna do absolutely everything she can to 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 make her believe that, and including seducing her in a way. You know, seduction is another form of power, right? right? Um, but what Natalie did so brilliantly as an actor and, and as a character and as a colleague is that she managed to, you know, it's like, uh, you know, Gracie can experience as Elizabeth mimicking her. She sees her copy, her gestures and her movement and her dress and, and she approves of it. It feels good because she's like, she's seeing me like I want to be seen, right? So I feel as a character that way. But then when I watch the movie and I see Natalie doing all this kind Kind of crazy, like really commenting on, you know, managing to, to to imitate me and then comment on it when Gracie doesn't see. I was like, it killed me. It's so good. It's absolutely beautiful. So anyway, she was a tremendous partner, a great colleague, and we had the best time together. It was so fun to watch you two
1: at work and just get lost in the roles, but also at the same time admire your incredible artistry and, and portraying these crazy ass women
5: um thank you and i just have to say that julie's like my all-time like favorite actress and i just was so dying to work with her and to get to do this together and realize how kind she was and generous and fun with all of it made it so possible to do all this nasty stuff to each other because it was like so safe when we were off camera you know was very clearly just playing together
1: I understand it was shot in 23 days.
7: How much rehearsing did you all do? So we had 23 days to film and- How many days to rehearse? Zero days to rehearse. (laughs) But uh, leading up to uh, filming in Savannah, Georgia, Todd would put together these dinners and we would just hang out with each other and get to know each other on a human level. And there was just this complete trust in Todd and the set that he built and the atmosphere that he built. And we were all in this together. And I was so lucky to be with Natalie and Julie and just have the best scene partners, the masters of their craft being led by Todd. So it was very, every minute, every second mattered and counted when we were filming. And there's just some, uh, everyone brought their best and was elevated by.
1: When we come back, up and coming star Charles Melton on getting inside of Joe's head And screenwriter Sammy Birch on watching her script come to life.
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I
3: thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.
2: This is Uncanny USA.
1: And we're back with the cast of May-December. Well, you know, you're getting a lot of attention, Charles, for your role. And I know that you just received the Gotham Award for Best Supporting Actor last night. So congratulations. Joe really is a fascinating, again, complicated character. He's more honest, perhaps, Natalie, but he's still sort of simmering and you can't quite read what he's thinking, although towards the end, I think he's like, holy shit, what have I gotten myself into? Right. <laughs> when he's watching The Graduation. But tell us a little bit about how you approached this role. Did you read about Mary Kay Letourneau? I mean, how did you think about it?
7: Yeah, there was um, there's so much source material to look at, but it really just started with Sammy's script i mean there was just so much in between the text and i kind of saw this vast arena to explore with joe and the sensibility of him having so much responsibility at 13 being a father that mixed in with just public perception and you know being a loving husband and you know i, I kind of looked at certain things in my life personally that i could apply or find a parallel to that wasn't so much the same experience but the feeling was similar. You know, my dad was in the Army. I was an Army brat. And when I was 11 years old, he sat me down the night before he left to go to the Gulf War. or I'm sorry, Desert Storm. He did go to the Gulf War, but Desert Storm. And, you know, was like, you know, uh, to step up and take care of my two younger sisters. You're the man of the house. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like as a kid, you want to step up to the plate. You know, when your hero's telling you this, you want to do whatever you can. And in a way, I could find, draw that parallel with... Joe for his kids and stepping up to the plate and for Gracie too. So that was a little bit of what I looked at.
1: Yeah. I know you put on 30 pounds for the role. And I know Todd, when you first considered Charles, you were like, there's no way. <laughs> why, why did you not think he was right for the role initially? Cause he was so
3: unimaginably handsome. That <laughs> I was like, there are no real people like that in
1: walking. You know, through Tybee Island, Georgia. Um. <laughs> Why did you put on 30 pounds? Did you feel like you had to put, have a, a dad bod or something?
7: I just wanted to enjoy life. <laughs> no, but Todd and I, we had a few conversations of what Joe, not so much looked like, but what he would feel like. And it was kind of just, you know, the uh, the green lights to just really go in and have Five Guys every night, pizza, ice cream ranch just out of a cup i was eating it all it was great
1: he was sort of sadly stunted wasn't he sure yeah 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 there's like a
3: larval state this man
1: speaking of monarch butterflies yeah yeah. and and the thing about what charles
3: you know did is that i saw his picture but then i saw his tapes his self-tape with laura rosenthal my casting director and and we were like wait a minute this is, we saw some great actors for the role of Joe, but nobody did this, nobody approached it with such a minute sense of present tense, where it it was somebody pre-verbal. It was somebody who hadn't yet learned how to see themselves and see what was going on. And that's what this film needed because these were two women who were so adept at telling stories to get them through their lives. And also couldn't see themselves as a result. But, you know, but that was their practice. That was their career. That was their profession. And then the third act opens up a space for Joe to begin to exist and take those tiny steps forward.
1: Sammy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, how weird is it sitting on this stage with all these people? And, and what has this experience been like? Just tell us about you. <laughs> That
6: was a very that was a very Barbara Walters question, but go ahead. <laughs> um well it's been very surreal, obviously. I mean obviously this is very surreal and um and and even more so because the very first conversation with with Jessica Elbaum, the first producer attached with her and Will Ferrell, it was um the day before the pandemic shut down. So then everything that followed was very kind of like I was in my apartment still, but then it was like, oh, Todd Haynes is interested. We're going to Zoom with him and Natalie Portman. I was like, "Okay," (laughs) you know, like (laughs) there's like a a sort of unreality to it. But um, but from the beginning, too, it's just been um, so amazing with these people who are, you know, artists I've have meant the world to me, their work. And then to find out they're also so kind and funny and generous and and to get to watch up close, you know, the process of Todd <laughs> making a movie. I mean, it's it's really it's quite amazing.
1: Congratulations. It's an incredible story. And I'm so thrilled for you. And but as sort of as a closing thought, you know, I think when I watched this movie, I was left. With so many more questions than answers, you know, was Gracie sexually assaulted? You know, is Elizabeth just this horrific narcissist who wants to wreak havoc wherever she goes and destroy people's lives? You know, was, Char- that was a question. Yeah. Was was was, was Charles, you know, was, was Joe, sorry Charles, um, you know, just as I said, sort of tragically stunted. Was he happy or did he does he not even understand? what happiness is. And, and I guess the question is, uh, anybody can take this who wants to, but was that the goal in a way to leave things, leave you questioning? Because I kept thinking about these characters after I saw the film and really wondering about them and what made them tick. And is that sort of the goal, Todd, of a film like this to leave things so enigmatic and unclear in a way?
3: You know, this script and this project reminded me of the way films that I saw when I was young that triggered questions. They were maybe a little beyond my grasp when I was the age I saw them, but that made you want to revisit them and made you want to see them again and think about them and talk about them with your friends. And that's what movies are to me. You know, movies are about asking questions that aren't easy to answer, that stay in your head that keep you going back and wondering and re-examining them. And I think that's true for classic Hollywood the great classic Hollywood films for European art cinema for independent film. Those are the films that, you know, keep me inspired. So this film, this project and and working with these guys and my whole crew was was an
1: example of that. I have one other quick question, which is the music, which is so almost another character in the film. And I saw that it was Michelle Legrand who died in 2019. And then I read that this was actually the score of a movie that was made in 1971. Can you just explain that and how you repurposed it or how that worked?
3: This is Marcelo Zarvis' My Composer's adaptation based on the score from the go-between 1971 Joseph Losey film with Julie Christie and Alan Bates. And I, I saw the film when I was, I think, when it came out when I was young, but I saw it again on TCM last year while I was doing my image book and putting together references for this movie. And the score just knocked my socks off and put me on alert and made me question the film that would unfold. And I thought that is, along with the sort of restraint alongside the kind of restraint of the camera and the observational style of this film that's sort of somewhat austere, I wanted something very strong to trigger the audience to be like excited or invited into a process of thinking and questioning, but that would be pleasurable, you know, that would be like an enigma that you were trying to solve as you were watching it. So that was that we use that, we use that music while we shot the film as an example of what the music might be in the end. Oh, really? And then, yes, we shot it from the very first shot that we set up. It was used through the entire film, every cue from Michelle LeGrand's score. And then it became part of the DNA of this film. So it, we couldn't, I, I went, had to go to Marcelo and say, <laughs> and say, uh, dude, uh, can, we, can we adapt it and make it your own? And he did just that.
1: Well, it really added so much, obviously, to the film. Congratulations to all of you. It was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank
4: you,
0: Katie.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have a question for me, a subject you want us to cover, or you want to share your thoughts about how you navigate this crazy world, reach out. You can leave a short message at 609-512-5505. Or you can send me a DM on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. Next question is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. Our supervising producer is Ryan Marks, And our producers are Adriana Fazio and Meredith Barnes. Julian Weller composed our theme music. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to the description in the podcast app or visit us at katiecouric.com. You can also find me on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app.